Welcome to the Become Fire podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. Now, here are the Friars. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Become Fire podcast. This is Father Anthony Tinker, joined by two special guests. Once again, you heard about them the past two weeks. We're talking to both of them today, Brother Paul and Brother John of the Cross. Uh, welcome, guys. Good to have you. Good to be back. Good to be here. Um, we are going to talk to these two men about their lifelong commitment they just made. They just made their final promises of poverty, chastity, and obedience to the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to talk to them about a little bit about that, about their experience, about what that, you know, what that is, and a little bit about religious life. Uh, let's just ask the Father's blessing to be upon us and begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, asking your blessing to be upon us, to be upon all those, especially if there's anyone listening who's discerning their religious life, that you would plant that seed in their heart to come to give themselves over an imitation of you, O Lord, who lived a poor, chaste, and obedient life. And Mary, Mother, intercede for us in this podcast as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, let's just go right for the heart of the matter here. Um, You guys had a huge ceremony the other day, a couple weeks ago, in which you made a lifelong commitment to the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. We'd like to talk a little bit about your kind of vocation stories getting to this moment in your lives. Um, but I just want to hear just overall perspective before we get into the ceremony and stuff, what happened, what vows are, what religious life is, what moments of the liturgy impacted you the most? What was the moment of that liturgy that you would say that is, is something that I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life? That moment, um, I really experienced the presence of God. I experienced this beautiful um, time with the Lord. So Brother John of the Cross, what was that moment for you in this liturgy? The moment was probably uh, blowing out my baptismal candle before prostrating for the litany of the saints, because the baptismal candles are a sign um, of our life, and blowing them out is just a sign that we're just giving God everything, that we're dying to the world. And whenever I did that, I was like, well, uh, here we go. Like, this is done. Um, And so there was just really an intense feeling of death itself in that moment, and really just the feeling that these vows of poverty, chastity, obedience— are going to take everything from me. So it was really intense, and that one's going to stick with me. All right, pa- Brother Paul, before we get to you, let's stop here for a second, because I think this is really beautiful. This is something that we brought back from you know the the traditional form of religious vows. That That is a option for the ceremony, but not something that you'll typically see if you've been to. A, most people haven't been to a ceremony where they see a man give his life or a woman give her life uh, for the rest of her life in final vows. But um, in this... We, there was this the symbolism of the baptismal candle, the symbolism of you have the baptismal candle, you you walked in with it at the beginning, um, that uh, you you had it, you were holding it in your hands, then you blew it out. Talk a little bit to us about what all that symbolism is from from the time you, you walked in with it until that moment where uh, kind of the end where Bishop blows it out. Yeah, so the baptismal candle was something I was really excited to be able to incorporate. We were digging around in the 1955 Franciscan ritual and I found this, so I immediately started begging Father Athanasius to include it in the ceremony, and uh, Brother Lawrence did a great job uh, incorporating it as he was organizing a lot of that with Brother Elijah, so shout out to those guys. But the idea is religious life is essentially a second baptism, so it's a deepening of the consecration to God that we get at baptism, 
And so the reason why we walk in with our baptismal candles is to show that uh, our baptismal promises, our baptismal vows are about to be deepened. We've already received life in Christ uh, at baptism, and it's actually a rebaptism, uh, taking religious vows. And then, as I mentioned, before you prostrate for the litany of the saints, uh, you blow the candle out as a sign that you're dying to the world, as a sign um, that you're going to be completely dead to yourself. And then you prostrate for the litany of the saints. So Brother Paul and I both prostrated cruciform, so uh, with our arms stretched out like a cross to show that we were conforming ourselves to the cross of Christ. And so after the litany of the saints, a veni creator spiritus, which is a traditional hymn, singing for the coming of the Holy Spirit is sung. And then after that, we make our vows to bishop. And it's actually after we get the vows, we actually get the baptismal candle back. But this time it's lighted from the Easter candle. And what's that meant to symbolize is that it's no longer us who's living, but Christ who's living within us. It's showing that the human life we're living now is a reflection of Christ, but our life's not our own. And it's because the lighted baptismal candle, uh, we then hand to Bishop Olmsted to show that our lives aren't something that we can do what we want with, that our lives belong to God, they belong to the church. And then Bishop Olmsted blows them out to show that the church is taking our lives. And Bishop Olmsted was pretty enthusiastic. Like he blew those things out pretty quickly. <laughs> well, I, I, for me, uh, also, so I'm the one who hands you guys the baptismal candle. So you've taken your vows. I light them from the Easter candle and I hand them to you as the, as the superior of the community um, or as the community servant. And, and for, the, for us, that's a symbol, just like your godparent, you know, brought you the candle. Uh, it was just beautiful for me, this role of, as the community servant, bringing you, you know, the symbol of this is, you know, the life you're, you're entering into. This is the, the new life that you begin in vows, this new baptismal life you've begun. Well, it's, it's now being handed on to you by this new kind of godfatherly role that I, I'm able to take on, which is really impactful to me. Brother Paul, what was it like when Bishop blew that candle out right in front of you? I mean, definitely what John on the Cross is alluding to, that uh, your life is no longer your own. Um, yeah, that's pretty much this, that uh, you totally surrendered it. And also the, the fact also that the Lord has the, essentially he is the altar of life and death. The Lord chooses uh, how you live your life and how you'll die, you know, and, and in a real way. Bishop Olmstead represents the Father in that capacity where he's like, it's in my hands now. And however long you're going to serve me is however long I choose. And, uh, and then he demonstrates that through a symbolic action, the blowing out of the candle. Wow. And God willing, uh, we'll, we'll burn, well, me and John of the Cross will burn, we'll be those candles burning out, and we'll just, one day it'll just be snuffed, man. We'll go be at the glory of the Lord. Oh, so. Praise the Lord. Um, Brother Paul, for you in this ceremony, what was the most impactful moment? The most impactful moment, probably the, the saying, the, uh, saying the vow formula itself, putting my hands in Bishop Umstead's hands. Um, it's pretty... Uh, it's a hard to explain the experience of putting your, your hands in another man's hands and vowing obedience, poverty, and chastity. Um, but then in particular, uh, Bishop Olmstead, when he, when he says, you know, if you, if you live, you know, on behalf of the church, I receive these vows. And if you live them, I promise you eternal life. And so tell us about this. For those who don't know, what, what vows do you take and why do you take them? And, and what impact, what does it mean for, the, for your life moving forward? So we take the three vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, so the evangelical counsels. Um, we would say that uh, it's the example of how our, our Lord lived, poor, chaste, and obedient to the Father. And so as religious, we try to model ourselves uh, after Christ and Him crucified, uh, particularly through the expression that Holy Father Francis has revealed to us uh, that He received from the Father. Um, and that they're actually tailored towards the perfection of uh, charity, hope, uh, and then also the fulfillment of joy. 
And so what the, the vows are then an eschatological sign of the life we hope to live in, in beatitude with God. Um, and how do you plan? So, so this is an imitation of Christ. So we mm-hmm. would say Christ lived a poor, chaste, and obedient life. Um, he was, he was poor. I mean, he had nowhere to lay his head. He was born in a manger. Um, he was chaste. And for him, we're all called to chastity, but him particularly was celibate chastity. He didn't mm-hmm. get married, did not have sexual relations with anyone. Um, and then he was obedient, obedient to the father's will, even to the cross. Right. And that, and so as religious, we're almost living for heaven and by taking these vows, we're living for him. Um, and, and so how is this going to affect the rest of your life? So now you're, you've, you've, you've said, you've told the world, I'm going to be poor, I'm going to be chaste, I'm going to be obedient. Like, can you go through each of those vows and, and what that means to you and how you, you feel, um, how you, you, you plan on and hope to live these out um, as a witness to the world? Uh, I guess to start out with poverty, um, so there is a, a material sense in which I relinquish all natural goods for the sake of the kingdom of God. But also, um, a lot of times you can look at the vows as like a sacrifice, but also uh, it's articulated also as like a great exchange. So while I may be poor in the things of the world, that I'm rich in the treasures of heaven. Um, and so you're, you're, you're trading these material goods, but for fundamentally for a spiritual good. So, so while I may not own my own car or my own house at the same time, um, I don't have the concerns that a natural father would have uh, to provide for his family to go out and do these different things. So I can focus on evangelization. I can focus on the building with the kingdom of God. And then also the times of prayer and intimacy that I get to have with the Lord, that it's a tremendous gift um, that I'm able to pray a holy hour and go to holy mass uh, on a daily basis. And that fundamental to that is also through the, the vow of poverty that we take, that it does free us to be able to do those things, to foster the intimacy uh, with Christ and him crucified. And then with chastity too, that chastity is fundamentally self-possession. And it's the ability to give yourself. And fundamentally what the human heart desires is perfect communion. Um, and the only way that can, uh, fundamentally the only way that will ever be satisfied is with God um, and that relationship with him. And so the vow of chastity then becomes essential in the life of the religious celibate chastity and your ability to give yourself not only to the people of God and the people you minister to, but then also the, the particular relationship that each religious is called to have with Christ. So for me in particular, then my, my own relationship with the Lord, that the gift of chastity allows me to give myself solely to him um, in the deepest recesses of my heart. Um, so that I have an undivided heart, so that I can single-mindedly and wholeheartedly follow the Lord. And then obedience, which is, this is also kind of one of those paradoxical things, actually gives me the freedom to then follow and serve the Lord, right? And so it's not a freedom of choices. Obviously, my, my choices get drastically reduced, but that's a false sense of what freedom is, uh, that we have freedom to pursue the good, and the good fundamentally being our beatitude with God. And so obedience then gives me the freedom to live uh, the beatific vision and have a share in it now. I have a share in it even before. It's a, it's a now and not yet. So even now I share in that, uh, in that relationship with the Father as an obedient son through the vow that I've taken. Um, and then also hopefully we'll one day obtain through uh, through hope. That's beautiful. So Brother John Lacoste, what was that like for you? When you went up, Bishop Olmstead sitting in that chair, you, you, you come up to him, you put your hands into his hands and you made those, those lifelong promises. What, what was that moment like for you? It's definitely intense in as much as I realized I was giving over all control over my life. But there was actually a real sense of peace in as much um, as this is what I've been preparing for for the last five years. Like this is what our time in novitiate, our time in temporary profession was supposed to get us ready for. So it actually felt a lot more natural than I would have thought. And I just had a tremendous realization, like during the litany of the saints, like I really just felt the almost like the incapacity of myself to make these vows in as much as 
It's a supernatural grace. It's a supernatural commitment. And I was like, I can't live this without God's grace. And I just experienced leading into this during the singing of the Veni Creator Spiritus, just this filling with the Holy Spirit, like God telling me that he called me to live this. He's giving me the grace to live it out. And so it's like, I felt like I just kind of got rocketed into it. Uh, and it was just really a supernatural moment. Oh, praise God. Um, I want to just go, I'm going to keep going through the ceremony, not necessarily in a, a particular order, but I think uh, I just, we've talked about those moments that really impacted you. And I know a moment that really impacts a lot of people is, as you talked about, the, the cr- prostration. When you get up there, you prostrate yourselves, cruciform, and for quite a while, especially since we did- 22 the, minutes. Yeah, we did the, <laughs> this very, very long uh, litany of the saints. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about that too, why, why that was such a long litany of the saints and why that's uh, important. Um, and then the Vanity Creator. And then just Brother John Cross, if you want to talk a little bit about kind of what that was, what was happening, what we were doing, um, and what you were experiencing, why it happened. Yeah. So before, basically before you make a lifelong commitment to the church, whether it be uh, final vows, diaconate, priesthood, there's a litany of the saints sung over you uh, as you're prostrate on the grounds, basically for everyone in the church can pray for you. And what was particularly cool about this one, um, which you don't often see anymore either, is to each like invocation, like Saint, Mi- like Saint Joseph or Saint Michael, they actually said pray for them, not pray for us. So it was like the whole church uh, was praying over us. And the reason we had such a long list is we used the traditional first Franciscan litany of the saints. And so basically, all of our brothers and sisters in the Franciscan order, um, we were asking for their prayer and for their intercession. Uh, to help us live uh, this life. Plus, we threw in a few modern Franciscan saints like Maximilian Colby and Padre Pio and Duns Scotus, who weren't canonized when this one was made. Um, but part of the symbolism of laying there, and this is after you blow out your candle, you're basically dead and you're, like, you're with the saints. Like you're giving up your earthly life so you can be with the saints. And I actually at first during the Litany of the Saints, to be honest, felt like a tremendous amount of desolation. Like I felt like, man, like, I'm really dead. I really felt like the devil was trying to tell me that this is going to be really hard. But like, what was beautiful is I felt the presence of the saints coming to my aid. Like, I felt all my brothers and sisters from the Franciscan order, the other saints in the litany. I pretty much felt them like cheering me on, like, you're going to be able to do this and I'm going to be with you. And so that was a really beautiful moment um, for me. How about you for you, Brother Paul? What was that, what was that moment like? You lay in there prostrate. I guess one thing I want to add to that too is that also that... The, the vows also, it's like the Paschal mystery of Christ as well. So Christ who laid down his life, went down to Sheol, and then on the third day he rises again. And so there's a way also that through like through the symbolism of, of blowing up the candle, of laying prostrate, that it's also, and especially through baptism, you're baptized into his death. And so it's how you're entering more deeply into the baptismal promises of the Lord. And so there was definitely this sense of like, I'm entering more deeply and being more configured to Christ and him crucified, um, which is also, I mean, that's the example of Holy Father Francis too. Um, and then the life that we emulate. But I remember just like, from my, my own personal experience, I just felt just a sense of like freedom. I was like, I'm just so free. Like I am dead to the world. Um, and it's, it's one of those paradoxical sayings also from the gospel where it's a, uh, you have to lose your life to find it. And it doesn't like really, it's one of those things where you almost have to like do that. Like it's, it's, it's something that almost can't be articulated um, or expressed fully or conceptualized, but but you can just experience those moments from the gospel. And I feel like that was one of those moments where where the the the, the divine logos, the word kind of meets reality. And I had this moment where like, I'm giving down my life, but it's a lot I can live. Like in this sense of like, I have so much freedom right now. I felt so free uh, in that moment. And once again, the kind of that freedom where I, 
I don't have to care about the things of this world, the opinions of others and all the all the other trappings that go around with that, that I'm just free to just be with the Lord. Like, let's delve into that for a second, because this is the the myth of the modern man, I would say, is that freedom is freedom of choice. Yeah. So if I have whatever choice I want, I can choose go to my Uber Eats and get whatever food I want. Yeah. I can choose whatever career I want. I can choose what, you know, anything. Then that makes me truly free. Yeah. And and we as religious would say, well, no, that's not real freedom. Yeah. Freedom is not freedom of choice. You know, freedom is, as you would say, is found in the cross. Freedom is found in dying to yourself, yeah. dying to your own will and dying to your own desire and giving yourself over to the will of Jesus Christ. And actually that's where you find freedom. Uh, but the world doesn't understand that. So do you mind talking a little bit more at that and explaining to the people listening and may not understand that our conception of freedom versus the world's conception of freedom? I guess the way I've heard it articulated before that I think is a helpful example is that first of all, you have the idea of like that freedom is just choices. Right, and then so it's a reduction of what freedom truly is. And the analogy that I've heard, it's like a baseball game. So if you want to be able to throw the perfect pitch at 90 miles an hour, um, there's a particular way in which you do that. And now the world would say, well, you can throw it however you want to. So you can go out there, you could, uh, you could do underhand, right? You could like, try to throw it underhand, but you're never going to throw a 90 mile an hour fastball. Right, so what you actually need is a set of, of rules and hedges in which allow you then to hone your skill to where you can then throw the fastball at 90 miles per hour. And so then in the same way, we'd say freedom is oriented towards then the flourishing of the human person, right? But that means that there's parameters and there's a prerequisite of what the nature of it is to be a human person, that then you have the freedom to actualize the potential within you. I'm uh, meaning you have like, these, uh, I'm using all these, anyway, yeah, to actualize the potential within you towards the perfection of your being, but essentially meaning that to live the life of virtue, to, to, to have the attitude with God. And that's what freedom is, that you have to have actions to, to practice the virtue. The same way that you have to go throw the fastball a hundred times right, to get it faster and faster. And so in the same way for us to have a relationship with God, um, we're, we have that freedom of action in order to obtain the perfection of our being. That's beautiful. Um, so Brother John of the Cross, you get, if you want to comment on that, you're free to. But then I want to move into after the litany, was this moment where we did the Vena Creator Spiritus. So what, what, what was, why is that important? Why did we do that? And what was the importance of that? Yeah, so the Vena Creator Spiritus, once again, it's a traditional hymn to the Holy Spirit that the church has. The first lines translated as, Come Creator Spirit. Um, and that it was unfortunately suppressed in most major liturgies after uh, Vatican II, because whether it was a novice investiture, a, a final profession, a temporary profession, an ordination, it was pretty much universally in all of these liturgies um, before the liturgical reforms after Vatican II. And the reason like why it's sung is like as we like Brother Paul's talking about and as I was talking about, this call to religious life, this call to any of this is a supernatural grace, and we can only live it through the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray for the Holy Spirit to come, to come fill our hearts, to come fill our minds before we go and make these commitments, before we start um, our new life as solemnly professed religious. And for me, I found it like an incredibly um, powerful experience. Like I literally like could not have gotten up off the floor if I wanted to during the Veni Creator Spiritus, like the presence of God. I just felt that that strongly. I mean, it's like a hundred people are praying over you in Latin for the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. So, I mean, it's a really intense and a really beautiful moment. Um, but especially as Franciscan friars of the Holy Spirit, it seemed to be a particular, a particularly fitting way uh, to be praying, to be praying before we make this lifelong commitment. Uh, Brother Paul, did you experience anything different? Like Brother John Cross just beautifully talked about how there was, there was something very different in his experience of the litany um, and his experience of, of the veni. 
um, and, and what God was doing in those moments supreme. Because so this is getting to where the liturgy is. This is after the homily, right? Um, you guys have uh, the baptismal class, uh, the baptismal kind of blown out. We're praying over you, and then you're about to go take your vows. So this is like the moments before you're about to go make this lifelong commitment. Um, was there anything that God was doing in that moment? Or was there anything different between for you the veni? Uh, what did you experience during the veni gratia spiritus? Um. So uh, once again, I said like he's it's the he's the Lord of the living, and so back to kind of what I talked about in the beginning too that that um. So the baptism into his death, that it's just sharing in Christ and it's descending to Sheol. But like the, the Lord has the last say, right? You know, it's not, so it's not under despair, but like it's the, it's the Holy Spirit who comes and quickens the mortal body. And so there was this sense of like, of just being filled with life. Like I'm so full of life right now. Um, and, the, and the generative power of the Holy Spirit just alive in me. Um, that then also then gives me the capacity to actually give myself to what John of the Cross alluded to as well. That it's a supernatural giving that can only be done and facilitated through grace. And it's that moment, it's that, it's a moment of the descent of the Holy Spirit where the Lord fills you then with that capacity to actually go and do something supernatural where the words that you're saying actually enact something within your being that's only possible through the grace that you just received. And so even like, yeah, so it's it's the power. I don't know how else to describe it. You know, it's it's uh it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I, I know for me, um, when we were doing that litany, I think two things really impacted me. One was I just going through it, it's like this is our family. Yeah. Because like oh, being Franciscans, because there are a lot of Franciscan saints. Um, and it's like these are these are my my closest friends. Like the veil between heaven and earth is very, very thin. And so all of our family was there praying with us, was was there saying, Hey, you are now entering into a part of the Franciscan family. And we've all done it. We've all showed the example, these saints, uh, the example of the way of life you should live uh, as Franciscans. And we want you to continue this way of life because as uh, one of the most beautiful moments in the entire liturgy, Bishop Olmsted said, I promise you, yeah. if you live these vows, after you take That's your vows, part. You'll, you know, I promise <laughs> yeah. you everlasting life. Like it's real simple. You live the vows and you're going to heaven. Um, if, if you live them out and you're with the fullness of who you are. Um, and so there's this beautiful, beautiful moment where the family is all like, we're praying for you because if you can live this out, you're going to come, it's guaranteed you're going to come be with us yeah. for all eternity. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's a beautiful, just like the whole family is there praying for you and saying, hey, do this and if, do it well, be a good Franciscan, uh, be a holy man of God because the, the we want you to be with us, not just now, but for all eternity. And the second part um, that really impacted me was we sing... We ask Holy Father. So we don't, we don't call him St. Francis. We call him Holy Father Francis. And three times we cry out for his prayers. And he kind of like, uh, we, we go a, a little bit, uh, not only if it's a full octave, but a little bit higher each time that we're, that we're singing his name. And I thought it was so beautiful because the whole church, we, we had a beautiful, um, Cecilia from Detroit was there, uh, did a beautiful job singing. Um, and Joe was, was helping play the organ for us. And, and this beautiful calling out for Francis to pray for you. Calling out our Holy Father, the, the example, the guy we're trying to follow was there and he's just like, Holy Father Francis, Holy Father Francis, Holy Father Francis. Well, there's also a moment too where I feel like you could like hear the people like getting into it, like the first Holy Father Francis, and then like everyone got louder and then with the third one, everyone's like really singing it out. It was a pretty powerful And moment, it picked up sure. the rest of the, like we oh, did for that sure, and the rest sure. of the litany, it got picked up. Um, so I want to get into a couple other things, but we're, we're not going to have time to get into them right now, but I just want to give the preview for the next time. There's a couple things. Well, I want to talk about this homily. I thought Father Athanasius did a really good job talking about the consecration of ordinary things and how you're about to be consecrated. I'd like to talk a little bit about that on our, our next podcast. Also, um, 
you know, uh, this, the promises, I just kind of mentioned it already, but I want to talk to you guys about what it was like hearing Bishop Olmsted say those words. I promise you everlasting life. And then uh, third, I mean, the, the other kind of part of the ceremony that I think is so beautiful is, is when you, ha- you hold the book of our statute, our rule of life and our statutes there. And, uh, and, and it's so, I think a beautiful, beautiful moment was the fatherhood of, of Bishop Olmsted kind of being handed on that. So I want to talk about these and some more things. And then I want to get into a little bit about religious life itself, what it is, um, so we can t- t- tell, talk to this about the people of God. Um, I, I'm going to stop a little early because I have a little bit lo- uh, of a, a longer question for our end question, or maybe more of a little thought, maybe a little explanation. Because I, I want, again, the people, you're only here, you're going to be doing a few podcasts with this, and I hope this will get an explanation as to who you are. Um, let's, um, Jesus has invited you to dinner. Right, and Jesus and Our Lady are going to be there, and you're allowed to invite one person currently living, one person who's deceased, and one fictional character to come and be a part of the dinner to have a conversation with you. So Our Lord and Our Lady are there, um, and you're going to have a conversation, and we want to know who you're going to invite and why. So I'm going to go through. I'm going to give you guys a little time to think. I'll start, and I'm just going to go. The first person is who's currently living. So think about your currently living person. Um, if I, um, and if someone takes yours, sorry, you got to think of a new one real quick. Uh, I would invite Pope Emeritus Benedict to, uh, to my dinner. Um, because I just, I think one, he's one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. Uh, I think he, so he's a brilliant, um, obviously he's seen anything and everything. You know, I have a lot of questions about him. Well, what is it? What's going on with what's going on in the church? What do you think about what's going on? Like, what happened? I want some insider scoop if he's going to give it to me. Uh, but more importantly, just this, I think he is a very holy man. And this example of living this life of prayer, I think we so need today. So for me, I guess if I, the person who I'm going to invite who's currently living would be Pope Emeritus Benedict. Uh, I'm going to open it up. Who would you guys invite to this dinner and, and why? I think I'd invite Cardinal Burke because after uh, Pope Benedict XVI, he's the most influential uh, churchman currently living in my life. I think he's just a tremendous witness. Um, to the need to stand up for the truths of the faith, for the need to have uh, reverent liturgy. And the couple of times I've gotten to briefly meet him, I've just found him to be a really humble and a really kind man. And so I'd love to get to hang out with him and Jesus and Mary. So the, those are my top two. So now I'm really... <laughs> okay, then can you explain why? You can t- if I took it away Well, So you. definitely Pope, Pope Benedict, just because uh, I would definitely love to sit down and have a conversation. And also, like, I'm assuming that we're with Our Lady and Our Lord, so like, it can be kind of a candid conversation. So we're going to kind of move past the externals, and we can really just ask some serious questions. Like, <laughs> like what, what was really going on? Yeah. Like, what was really going on, you know? And uh, similarly with Burke, too. And so if I just had to throw someone out there, I'm a, I'm a, a Father Tom Acklin. I would go, I would go <laughs> with him. Yeah. Very holy man. So Father Tom has some beautiful books for those who haven't. He's a, he's a Benedictine a monk. He's got one on prayer, one spiritual direction. I highly recommend those to people. One Great of the holiest of men I know. Yeah. Um, all right. Do you, do you, well, I don't want to take anybody. Do you want me to go first? Do you have more time to think? Or do I think you who, can go first. You can go first. Okay. Someone who's deceased, who you would like to invite to this dinner. I think this is really hard um, because I think there's just so many beautiful, beautiful saints. Um, but I have to go with um, St. Anthony of Padua. Um, I, when he's Franciscan, I think I'm thinking about St. Francis. He's like right there for me. Of course, Peter and Paul. I mean, so there's the going with one of the apostles. I would love to talk about Jesus. Like, what was it like? Tell me, like, give me the inside scoop, especially with John. Like, what was it? Probably St. John for me, maybe St. Peter. Like, what's going on? Tell me the scoop. Like, give me, like, what was it like in those early days? But I, the same with Anthony Padua. I want to get his perspective because he knew Francis. He was alive with him. He's this highly influential Franciscan, highly intellectual 
I think the conversation were really great, but I'd love to just hear about the early Franciscan days, like what was going on. But from that, the perspective of St. Francis, that would be beautiful, but just this guy who I find to be an incredibly holy man, it would be very humble, uh, this beautiful preacher. I think he would actually inspire me. It does inspire me to be a better Franciscan, but I think learning from him would be really sweet. I think I'd invite St. Joseph. I mean, getting to meet yeah. Jesus's foster father here on earth would be yeah. uh, would be fantastic. I mean, to hear what it was like um, raising the son of God I think it would be incredible and to be able to talk to him and Mary about their marriage, I think would be invaluable. So I'd bring St. Joseph. Yeah, you're, you're, you're winning on that one. Just the Holy Father Francis. I got to throw it out there. Someone's got to say that, right? <laughs> this one I'd bring definitely. Why? I would love, so you have all of these different biographies of Francis and you have all these, and you have all these commentaries on like who the man of Francis is. And so you can kind of like try to find the universals and kind of build a picture. But uh, I'd love to meet the man himself. Yeah. Uh, and in particular, like, what's his presence like? What's it like? Like, how does he hold himself? How does he speak? Um, it would just be fascinating. You know, what's, what's his conduct like around our lady and our Lord? There would be a, a lot of things where... Uh, I just like to talk to him too. Like, how do you, how do you do this? Like you're, you're kind of this, you're a wild figure. How do I follow you? Uh, so we're going to go with a fictional character. Just, uh, this is just so the people get to know who you are. Like yeah. we just want them to get to know who you are. Like, what do you pay attention to? What do you like? Or who do, would you like to meet? Um, I, it, you know, it doesn't have to go on the religious theme. I know it have been like Jesus mm -hmm. and Mary there, but uh, if you want to go with, you know, a Star Wars character or someone else um, for me, it's going to be the Monsignor from La Mis. Uh, I love Victor Hugo. It's my favorite book. I love the musical. Love everything else. But I, I think just the way the way he's written, the character that's portrayed, this beautiful man who like Jean Valjean's taken all of his silver and he's brought back, and he's all like, "Oh no, no, no I gave him my silver." Which in one sense you'd be like, "What?" Like you know, it's not a lie, you know. But he was just like he he saw you know in a sense like this this man who needed needed redemption, and going back to jail was not going to save this man, but showing mercy was. And it changes Jean Valjean's life forever. And so there's just this beautiful, beautiful witness, this holy man. And the book gives us a really beautiful perspective of who this guy is. Um, how about yourselves? I'd bring Captain Picard from Star Trek, The Next Generation. Because <laughs> it's just, I think, the greatest television series of all time. I watched so much of it growing up um, and still really enjoy it on, the, uh, on occasion on a home visit or whatever. And so there's not any super deep spiritual or profound reasons. I just think it'd be awesome to hang out with him. Yeah, this, we're trying to get to know you, so I love it. I'm going to lay out my top three, and then I have to choose. Okay. But first of all, I would go Gandalf is really up there. Yeah. Then also Zosima from the Brothers Karamazov. Okay. And also David Copperfield. Oh, yeah. Yeah, little Davy. Um, what age? Like, where in the book do you want I, to be? Toward the, he's, he's uh, for like, uh, this is a, a spoiler alert. So if you haven't read the book, turn off the podcast now. <laughs> but he's, he's married Agnes by now. You know yeah. what I mean? He's settled down. Yeah. And we, and like, we sit around, we have a, like a, a smoke a cigar and like have a glass of wine together. <laughs> and we go back over his life, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to go with Gandalf though. Definitely. Yeah. That'd be very fascinating. Yeah, it'd be very fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you all so much for being with us. We're picking up to part two uh, this next week. So stay tuned for a little bit more about their final vow ceremony and about a little bit more about religious life. So may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, turn his countenance towards you and give you his peace. And may Almighty God bless you as I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, God bless you all. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire podcast. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www.becomefire.faith. That's .f-a-i-t-h. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit are also a 501c3 charitable organization. If you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission, please go to www.becomefire.faith 
slash give. That's becomefire.faith slash give. May the Lord give you his peace. We'll see you next time.